0: I'm Kenzie Wilver, and this is Food 52's Bird Toast. Good evening. Listen to me, please. It is almost time.
1: Are your paper airplanes ready?
0: This is a clip from last year's Ig Nobels, put on by the science humor magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research. Awards go to scientific research that, according to their slogan, first makes people laugh and then makes them think. And, per tradition, they also ask the audience to throw paper airplanes during the ceremony.
1: Please prepare your paper airplanes for launch. Five, four, three, two,
0: one... Launch! If there were one thing that could set the right tone for the Ig Nobel's, it is this. Started back in 1991, the awards are a satire and a comedy show all at one time. Their master of ceremonies goes by Chief Airhead, and they have what they call an NSFW indicator, which is literally just an old man in a helmet who waves a flag and blows a horn at any mention of violence or sex. If a room of scientists were to put on a circus, this is what it would look like. Winners include a study that proved leaning to the left makes the Eiffel Tower seem smaller, and one that discovered that when dung beetles get lost, they can navigate their way home by looking at the Milky Way. And in 2008, this one. The Nutrition Prize! The Ig Nobel Nutrition Prize is awarded to Massimiliano Zampini of the University of Trento, Italy, and Charles Spence of Oxford University in the UK for electronically modifying the sound of a potato chip to make the person chewing the chip believe it to be crisper and fresher than it really is. It's a textbook Ig Nobel win. I mean, just listen to the audience laugh. But when you really think about it, it's just the beginning. It opens the door to so many questions about how what you hear when you eat affects the whole experience. The research took off. News outlets and fellow podcasts like The Sporkful and Gastropod started covering what people call the sonic chip. Here's how the study worked. Basically, volunteers sat in a sound booth rigged with microphones and ate Pringles. When they took a bite, the sound the chip made would be played back to them through headphones. And every so often, the sound would be amplified. What they found was that the louder the sound from the chip, the fresher the volunteer perceived it to be. This led Charles Spence down a road he hadn't yet considered. He started looking into whether or not we could tell what's being poured into a glass by the sound it makes, whether the pitch and tone from opening a can makes the beverage seem fizzier or colder, and whether or not the shape of the plate can make a dessert seem sweeter. He used bacon and egg ice creams to test if listening to the sound the food makes, say, sizzling bacon while you eat it makes the whole thing more flavorful. And in case you missed some of the other food reports, Charles went on to use toffee and chocolate to study the way background music changes our experience of sweetness. Here he is.
1: So, first time that sort of Sonic seasoning made its way into the public sphere, it was in a restaurant in North London called the House of Wolf. Caroline Hopkinson, kind of a culinary artist, and she was the chef in residence. And one of the courses on her inaugural menu there was Sonic Cake Pop. Which came to the table as a bitter sweet chocolate lolly. At the same time, diners were instructed by the menu to say, "Please ring eight four five something something something." If you want to make your dessert sweeter, listen to this track. If you want to make your dessert more bitter, listen to that track. The sweet track was more tinkly and high pitched. The the bitter soundscape was much more low pitched, kind sort of sound. Sweet music, tinkling the high pitch, the piano can bring out about five to ten percent sweetness. In a dish. So, we can't like, turn water into sugar water just by music. If you have kind of a complex tasting experience,
0: it, it, it kind of makes my mind wonder how you could use this thing. Like, if a restaurant feels like they're, you know, they have this horrible pastry chef, but they can't let them go yet and they make everything too sweet, should they just blast low tone music? <laughs>
1: I mean, there's sort of two parts to that. So, we are thinking mostly about the taster,
0: the diner, the drinker, and how their
1: experience is affected. But over the last year or two, we've started to think more carefully about those in the kitchen. Does the music playing there influence how the chef, how the cocktail maker mixes their drinks? And ultimately, should should you make sure that the music playing in the kitchens and the chefs are seasoning the dishes? Is the same music that the diners have to, to taste that dish to? So you're in the same kind of environment in creation as in consumption. Maybe not, because maybe sometimes the chefs do have um, peculiar choices that might not be. What at most uh, diners' favourites?
0: There is no good way to describe this other than a rabbit hole. There's also the question of whether these findings could affect restaurant design. Open kitchens are really popular, but if science says cooks make the best food while bumping Metallica, should they be farther away from diners? And then, does Metallica have this effect for everyone universally? Or in a different country? They're working on this one right now.
1: question that quite often pops up is... Surely there must be cultural differences here. It can't be that you know, sweet music in England is the same as sweet music everywhere else in the world, given what different kind of musics and instruments people listen to. We haven't done all of the research by any means, but so far I think the answer is going to be that some things are, are universal. I bet that sweet tastes are high-pitched all over the world and even across different species. But when it comes to you know, what instrument does your mind wander to when you're when you're trying to uh, describe musically the taste of umami or, or salt, say, I wouldn't be surprised if that does... Vary somewhat by region. Getting into that cross-cultural domain then opens up a huge number of experiments.
0: Yeah, there's there's so much there. Do you do you feel and en- do you feel a little endless about it?
1: Uh, yes. yes, that's a good place to be. So there's an endless uh, things to do, and we're kind of going now. Had a couple of PhD students here in Oxford, and going beyond just where we started with a sonic cake pop bitterness and sweetness. What do they sound like? Then looking at do we have the, the sound, the music of citrus or of smoky or of woody or of spicy? We just published a paper on that a couple of weeks ago from a restaurant study we did in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, with a chef there playing sort of spicy music to bring out the spicy notes. Any attribute in food that you know that you maybe like, we should be able eventually to find music or a soundscape that will accentuate that note or suppress it.:
0: Are you at all surprised that you ended up doing this? Did you like play with your food a lot as a kid, or does, <laughs> does this does, does this make sense to you where you are now? Well,
1: I did always just have a, in junior school. Used to have a box in my wooden desk where I'd invite all my uh, people in the class to, to donate a bit of their lunch. And it would sort of slowly fester and go fungicidal and, and turn into this horrible kind of black, <laughs>
0: disgusting. <thing. laughs> no way. <laughs>
1: so I was kind of experimentation with food, and um, the teacher found it and made me deposit it in the furthest bin away. But no, I think. More recently, I've always been interested in the senses. I kind of got dragged into the world of smell and taste. At the time, not really thinking it was that interesting. Theoretically, I just thought, well, if they're going to pay the bills, then we'll help them do it. But after the fact, you kind of learnt, in every case, there's something really interesting about smell. It's wired up differently in your brain. Taste, you know, some, somehow fundamentally you can't fool it in
0: the way that you can the other senses. More on that right after the break. Spence also works directly with chefs. If you were hot on the Sonic chip beat last year, or if you're interested in food and you've ever been to London, you may have heard of Sound of the Sea, the viral seafood dish that's brought to your table with a mini iPod hidden inside of a conch shell. While you eat, the earbuds feed you sounds of water and seagulls and crashing waves, and this is supposed to make everything taste better or more intense. This is making you want to scream, why can't food just be food? I feel you. It seems gimmicky. And at face value, it kind of is. But what you might not have heard about this dish is some of the work it's led to. The thing is, Spence recognized that restaurants are the perfect places to start an idea. They're like real-life laboratories without any of the red tape. And chefs are almost always eager to try new things.
1: Well, the things that are bizarre, like sounds of the sea, why on earth would anybody do that? Well once you've tried it in a really fancy restaurant, then it will percolate down and out. We're already now, I think, starting to see some of the fruits of that. Uh, I think in the hospital setting too, there's a lot of potential. Uh, we've seen uh, airlines. Too often we do things and and we do them in the lab in a very controlled condition. And then people will say, well, yeah, sure, under, university undergraduates in psychology might be fooled by this stuff, but you know, real people wouldn't. To answer that, then you really have to do the studies whenever you can in real noisy cafes, restaurants and bars and show that this stuff matters even there. And I think now, we're getting very interested in the use of astrophysics and sort of sensory design around food to help those uh, aging populations in care facilities and hospitals who met very many of whom are underfed suffering from weight loss uh, that's prolonging their stay in hospital and so on and to get around that if you want to think about better design there there's just so much ethics and stuff to, to actually do the study in the hospital it's so much easier to, to prove in principle that in a three Michelin-style restaurant, the color of the plate changes the taste, and then go to the hospital bosses and say, look at this, this really matters. Now does that give you the confidence to try changing the tray or the plate color in the hospital to try and help these vulnerable populations to eat better?
0: About the plate color, he's actually found that enhancing the visual contrast on the plate, say from a normal drab hospital beige to a bright blue or a red, can make people want to eat a lot more which is a really good thing, especially among patients who suffer from a lack of appetite. So this work plays out in a lot of places, and embracing this is part of the reason Spence is able to make some of the discoveries he does. But it also puts him in the position of having to defend his work. The food world venerated him for the sonic chip and for Sound of the Sea, but in academics, it can be a harder sell.
1: I'd never have gone into foods. It's messy. People you know, make crumbs, they get full up, they adapt. Just... Stick people in front of a computer screen it's much easier but then once we got there I suddenly you realise it is actually fundamental uh, to brain development uh, uh, it is fun this is what we do every day it's one of the most multi-sensory of our experiences so how could you not end up there i uh, so, you know. i spend my time kind of going around trying to convince my scientific colleagues in psychology and other disciplines hey this is really important don't ignore it it is real science just because you eat it doesn't make it any less complex or interesting practically or theoretically There's probably as much physics going on in a souffle as there is in some parts of the solar system. What goes on in in how foods are cooked and prepared, even what goes on in the mouth as we masticate something, is hugely complex, very difficult to understand and study, yet important that we do. Uh, Certainly, those who work in sort of sensory psychology, sensory perception, there is that kind of sort of hierarchy in there that you know, vision and hearing are the serious senses the chemical senses of smell and taste and touch. No one really bothers to study those because they're kind of lower senses. As I think Kant said, and it's just less worthy of interest, less theoretically going on. And that's kind of deep seated. Uh, certainly there are food science journals out there and they have been for decades, but that kind of connection between sort of food science and the psychology, the neuroscience, and that is one that's just uh, opening up.
0: What's next for you?
1: Uh, well, it always comes as a surprise. <laughs> Recently, we've had uh, you know, a typeface designer come in and say, I'm really interested in what you do. And when you talk about the shapes of taste, so, you know, I design typeface all the time. And I wonder whether it's different typefaces it would have different tastes. Is Time's New Roman, is that a sweet typeface or something? Uh, and that's led to a whole line of research now that I think is very exciting. So as to what's next, it, it really does depend on um, uh, who turns up.
0: Wow. No, and then like, men, And then menu fonts change, and then packaging fonts yep. change. And then, oh my gosh. Well, if you ever need an intern. (laughs) Charles Spence's new book is called Gastrophysics, The New Science of Eating. It comes out in June. This episode of Burnt Toast was produced by Gabrielle Lewis and me, Kenzie Wilbur. Thanks also to Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs, the founders of Food52, and to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Our add-in theme music is by Joshua Rule Dobson. Our new logo is designed by Abby Lossing. Please let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. Or you can get in touch. Email us at burnttoastfood at 52com We'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening.